Hello and welcome to Not Couple Goals, the podcast that talks about the best and, let's face it, worst romantic thrillers. I'm your co-host, Tyler McCarthy, joined by my other co-host, Allie Nelson. And this week we are talking about the 2021 movie, The Voyeurs. It is written and directed by Michael Mohan. It stars Sidney Sweeney, Justice Smith, Ben Hardy, and Natasha Lou Bordizo. And if I pronounced your name wrong, Natasha, I am very sorry. So if you haven't seen The Voyeurs, consider this your spoiler alert. We're going to be talking about it in full. Pause this, stream it on Amazon Prime, and then come back. Okay, welcome everyone. Uh, as mentioned, this week we're talking about The Voyeurs. It is a 2021 release, so it's relatively new. And in the pantheon of like crazy cuckoo bananas romantic thrillers, this one is definitely up there. But before we get into the real meat of it, Allie, let me ask you in our first segment, what did you expect going into this movie before you watched it? First of all, when did you watch it? So I watched this. I actually have the exact date that I watched this, which was January 8th of this year. And it's because I was texting with my friend Jen about it because Jen actually texted me you know, probably a few days before this and said, you have to watch this movie, The Voyeurs. You know, she's not saying it for a good reason. I will say that. She was saying like, she knows that I love like sexy movies, erotic thrillers, all of that kind of stuff. But she also was like, you need to watch this movie because I need to talk to somebody about it. It's bonkers. And nobody had seen it because it's not like super well known just yet. So she wanted me to watch it because she knew that I like crazy movies. She knew that this was kind of up my alley. So going in, I did expect it to be kind of bad because she did sort of recommend it for that reason of like watching so bad it's good movies and for like the fact that it was bonkers and that she needed to talk to somebody about it so she needed somebody to watch it so thank you jen jen murgott for the recommendation and i feel bad for jen because i could i can't imagine watching this movie having that what the fuck moment happen and we're gonna get into it but having that what the fuck moment happen and then having no one to your left and right to like sync up your jaw dropping with yeah insane and that's why she texted me but i mean it was actually it was also before i hadn't watched euphoria so i really wasn't familiar with sydney sweeney and you know i watched euphoria kind of shortly after that not no offense sydney sweeney but not really because but it was just because i felt like i had missed this big like cultural zeitgeist moment so really going in i really had no like expectations on sort of that front and right now she's having sort of a really big moment yeah i similarly my introduction to this i watched this movie last night I knew very little about it other than, I think I walked in on you watching it. You did. On January, what was it? 18th? January January 8th. 8th. I walked in on you watching it. It was like a sex scene. And then I think I, I don't know, went in the other room and played video games or something. Um, I think you were working. I was probably, yeah, yeah, you're right. It was probably in the middle of the day. I was probably like watching this sex scene and then went into a meeting. (laughs) Um. But, you know, I was expecting basically what the title says, you know, a movie about voyeurs and rear window-esque type of thing. Um, And then as for its main star, the only star I recognize going in, Sydney Sweeney, I was only familiar with her through uh, White Lotus, which, you know, say what you want about that show. 
if we're going to do a movie about someone like longingly looking at someone else from afar and then it gets sexy, anyone from the cast of White Lotus will do. So I figured, yeah, we were going to get a lot of what we did get, like her looking longingly, her hungrily wanting sex from someone window to window. Uh, But then the movie ends up being so much more or so much less or so just so much. Um, it was weird because I sort of didn't recognize her from White Lotus. And I don't know if that's a bad thing. Like, I guess it just didn't register that was the same actress. She plays, like, somewhat of a different character here. I really didn't like her character on White Lotus. I don't think we're supposed to like her character on White Lotus. But the character's also very kind of blank, where she spends a lot of it being very waspy in White yeah. Lotus. And at least in in this movie, she shows human emotion a lot more. <laughs> Yeah, and she also just seems very young to me. She's pretty young. Because because she's so synonymous with White Lotus, Euphoria, that to see her play like a full-grown woman with a, you know, job. Who's like a doctor. Exactly. (laughs) Well, anyway, before we get too into it, why don't I run us through what this movie is about with our next segment, which is just me giving a brief recap of the movie The Voyeurs. So. The movie opens with a young couple uh, moving into a new apartment. It's a beautiful studio with these giant, uh, uh, what, what kind of warehouse style windows? Picture windows. Picture I, don't... Win- I don't know. They're giant windows wherein everyone can see in. Uh, rather than invest in curtains, they go ahead and just really get sucked into their own view, and their view predominantly happens to be the building next door, specifically a. Kind of hot guy, at least hot from afar, who is a photographer. Uh, Night one, they catch him taking photos of his wife, and then they have sex on the kitchen counter. And then this couple is just kind of enamored with this sexy couple across the way. That continues. It goes all the way to them, like, basically planting a bug in their apartment, investing in binoculars, And then he starts to pull away from this voyeuristic behavior as things start to get real and it becomes apparent the guy across the way is a bit of a philanderer. She, meanwhile, befriends the wife. She, meanwhile, continues to really get obsessed and is staying up late at night just to watch this couple because no one in this goddamn movie has a TV. And it could have saved a lot of time, problems, and lives if people just got a TV. Um, but that's sort of the crux of the movie. It really explores this sexual attraction, this desire, this obsession. And then in the end, it kind of plays with, we'll get into this more in depth, but the movie's called The Voyeurs, and it really plays with who's watching and who's being watched. And there is a big twist in the end where it turns out the watchers aren't who you think they are. Um, and that's really the... I mean, did I miss any broad strokes? Um, Well, I think a very important part of the movie is the fact that, like, they do start to see that the husband across the way is having affairs, like, multiple affairs. And it kind of poses that question with them of, like, are you a documentarian? Do you involve yourself in what you're watching? Like, there's that moral dilemma of, like, is it on you to let this person know? Or do you just kind of go, like, I, I mean, it's not my business. I've just seen some random shit. And, and like, you know, I'm not going to get involved. I mean, a surprising amount of moral questions are asked in this movie. And I think I want to put one to you, which is do, like, when, when, when do you think, if at all, in this movie, 
they went too far with the peeping. Because I'll go ahead and confess, if I'm looking out the window and I see my neighbors, like, doing something in their apartment, a hundred percent I stop and I watch and I see what's going down. Yeah, we I mean, we both do that. We live together, if that's not apparent. But we do both, like, if we even if we see them doing something very humdrum, it's just, like, the idea of, like, seeing in and seeing what they're doing. It's, like... I always try and guess like what TV shows our neighbors are watching. And mm-hmm. I have a hard time doing it. The neighbor that we can see their TV the most, I don't think we have similar taste in TV. So I never can really, sometimes it's like old Grey's Anatomy stuff. I hope It seems like they're always just watching commercials. Yeah, we see that a lot too. With a lot of procedurals, like if we see them making, you know, dinner or something, we'll still watch. But it is like more exciting, obviously. Like I have seen people having sex through windows and stuff. And yep. I will watch that too. Even if that feels... You know, there's definitely a part of me that knows that that's an... Even watching just them making dinner, I know it's sort of inappropriate and creepy. But, like, when they start having sex in front of the window, not like our current neighbors really do that, but just in general, I do feel like, oh, I know I shouldn't be watching this, but that does not... That moral quandary does not ever stop me. No, me either. It's there's... Especially living in New York, there is an expectation that if your windows are open, someone can see in. It, it just, it, even if you're on a high rise, whatever, you run the risk that someone can see in. That is why curtains exist. That is yeah. why blinds exist. So if you want to have sex, lights on, blinds up, that that's, you know, a reasonable risk you're running. Now, is it the best look to sit there slack jawed, just watching it go down? No, we, we ought to have better things to do. But you know what? We fucking don't. So I mean, even if we do, I just think that there is something very like part of why you'll even watch like the the humdrum mundane things is that like it is interesting to see people in their environment when they are not being performative, you know, yeah. there's something just very like intimate about that. And like, I'm not trying to be creepy when I'm doing it. It's like, I feel like I'm kind of seeking a human connection of like, we do the same things and like just wanting to see somebody in their private moment, even though I know that that's weird. Yeah. I, I usually I end up stopping watching when I when the thought creeps into my head of like, what if they turned and just straight up made eye contact with me? I don't want that. And then I just kind of stop unless they're having sex, in which case I watch the whole time. But my question to you is, in this movie, when do you reach the point where you're like, OK, I'm going in the other room. OK, this is too much. OK, I've done a bad. Where's like the breaking point for you? So I would say it wasn't necessarily what they saw that was time to stop watching. It was when they bought binoculars for me. That's when it's like you've taken it from you're just watching your neighbors because they happen to leave the blinds open to like I am actively watching Yes. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that. Me too. It's the moment she's and she spent a hundred bucks on binoculars. I don't know how much binoculars are, but that's a lot. She got him in like an antique store too. It was like a really fun scene where her hu- boyfriend, not husband, yeah. says he's thinking about taking up the accordion and she walks by a store and she sees an accordion or so you think and you're like, oh, she's going to do something nice for him. And like you, it's the camera sort of pans behind and you see that she's actually looking at binoculars and her fucking boyfriend is the furthest thing from no, her mind. I actually disagree. I think what draws her to the window is the accordion because she smiles at it, the sort of like sweet smile. And then she's thinking, oh, I could buy him that accordion. And then she gets distracted by the binoculars and instead chooses to use her money on the binoculars. I think it's like, that's a weird choice she's making where she could have chosen relationship and she goes for voyeurism. Oh, see, I read it completely different because she opens the movie by saying, 
I went to optometry school and that was my whole life. I spent my 20s when everyone's supposed to be wild, making bad decisions. I spent them studying and achieving this goal. Now, now that I am an optometrist and have people's like healthcare in my hands, I want to start being irresponsible and wild. And I thought her voyeurism was like her doing that. So I read that smile when she looked in the window is her locking eyes on those binoculars and that smile is mischievous, not like, oh, my boyfriend would like this accordion. I feel like she didn't even clock the accordion. Oh, her face changes, though. When she first, like, we see, we zoom in on the accordion and then her, her she kind of gets this, like, curiosity face versus, like, oh, I'm thinking about my boyfriend and kind of having, like, a sweetness. Oh, it's, maybe. And I think it's supposed to be that she is making this choice of, like, she has the choice to do. And she hasn't just completely forgotten about the relationship yet. She's This is the beginning of that arc of where she's getting too invested. Uh, maybe I read it different, but you could be just as right. The the main thing, because I spent a lot of the movie sitting there watching, being like, "What is her motivation?" And it does seem like the only motivation for what she's doing is that one speech where she's like, "I want to be a little wild and crazy." But at a certain point, that just infers too much. And here's the next question I kind of want to put to you: Is she becomes obsessed? with this couple specifically you kind of find out in the end this guy she consciously or unconsciously is moving all of these pieces around and ultimately leading to the wife being out of the way so that she is free and clear to have sex with this guy dirty rotten like like wrong sexy sex and i wanted to ask like is him like well i think it's because so like very early on when she and her boyfriend are watching them have sex and she initiates having sex while watching them like it's like a live porno yes and she tries to get her boyfriend to like go in sync with him yeah and there's the juxtaposition of this guy is like going all night lasts really long doing different positions being very like wild and her boyfriend apologized to her as he ejaculates because he hasn't lasted that long and it's clear like she's you know nice about it but then you see her face when he sort of like gets up to clean up and she's clearly disappointed but it's clearly that she wanted to have this sort of in-sync moment but also was like longing to have that kind of sex that she's seeing across the way and I think that is a lot of what ends up kind of luring like she definitely thinks this guy's a douchebag because he gaslights his wife like hell like all the way through because he's you know having all of these affairs but I think it's like she's so curious what it would be like to be one of those girls to be the person having sex with him to know what it was like to have that kind of wild sex because she's not having wild sex yeah I guess to me it all came back to that speech and her wanting like you're saying to be this wild and crazy other person this person who's maybe not settling down in a studio apartment with this boyfriend but I guess what really like confused me was why why is she so obsessed with this life, this guy across the way? Like there's one scene where it's before they I think they see him have sex or it's that night after they have sex in sync with him and his one of his many mistresses where the the wife goes out of town. The guy actually like catches her looking and waves and she's like literally like catches his I, wife looking. I just want to clear for catches Sydney Sweeney the the philanderer guy catches Sydney Sweeney looking in on their apartment and he waves to her because at this time he's not doing anything. No, no, no. He waves to his wife. Oh, I thought he waved to her. No, he wait. He's he was looking down at his wife and she's leaving and he waves 
from the window to her. Are you sure? I think yeah, he looks no, at 100% her. I'm sure. I thought he looked at her and waved and she was like literally like hiking up her skirt, breathing heavy and getting like really just horny for this guy. No, 100% he was looking at his wife because this is the second time I saw it. So like I was noticing those kinds okay. of things. Well, either way, I think it's her wanting to be this wild and crazy person, but for some reason, the movie and she just zeroes in on this one apartment across the way when really, like, she could be doing an- anything, really. But I think she's presented with what she's missing out on mm. or what she has missed out on, what she is currently missing out on. And, like, a she's in a very safe, like, nice relationship where you're not going to be having the same kind of sex that you would necessarily be when you are in this, like, crazy mistress thing that, the way that he is. So I think the fact that she's presented just on a silver platter with exactly witnessing what she's missing out on, that's why she gets so locked in. I think she's also, she's never had these kinds of experiences so she kind of just locks in on it because she's learning about all of this stuff through him and I think it's awakened something in her that she maybe didn't know was there so she gets sort of addicted to it I guess I guess I I'm, I keep circling back to the fact that the movie is called Voyeurs and how she makes this declarative statement that she wants to be a wild and crazy person and then her only manifestation of that is just being on the outside looking in at least until the end when she finally does take matters into her own hands and become that person but I guess the movie is her journey of making good on that promise. She just takes a slow road to get there. I guess I'm holding her accountable for not just being a little more empowered and just going out and like going to a strip club or something like she wants to. Um, so if that's if her her buying the binoculars is the moment that we're both off board, the Halloween party yeah. is without a doubt like I that has to be a felony, right? Yeah, so like they realize that these people are having a Halloween party. So there's a story that gets told that's important about her boyfriend, how he had a crush on a girl in college. All the guys had a crush on this one girl. Yeah, but he specifically had, he was very sweet on her. And he taught himself through a YouTube video how to use a laser pointer to basically bug this girl's room so that he could somehow bounce the sound along the laser. And you need like a mirror and all this kind of stuff to bounce the sound back to you and you can bug somebody else's apart i don't do this if you yeah. if this is for realsies don't do this but anyway you can listen in but they would need a mirror in the right spot to bounce it off right and you know most people don't have a mirror right in front of their freaking window because why you use a mirror to look at yourself but if you do your neighbors are listening to everything you are saying yeah, if you see a laser pointer pointing in, potentially someone is trying to kill you or yeah. you know, someone trying to listen to you or both. A laser pointer looking in your apartment, there's just, there's nothing good on the other end of it. Yeah. Um, so anyway, she gets really, really locked into this and she's like, how do we do this? Because she's been wondering, like, ah, I wish we could hear what they were saying. Yeah. And also, we should mention the boyfriend is like, it seems like his job is to write jingles for commercials. So he has a ton of sound equipment. I just got weirdly paranoid that we made all of our listeners really like paranoid that someone's bugged their apartment. Unless your neighbor happens to have a ton of professional sound equipment. I don't think this will necessarily work. Like we do. Like we do to record this podcast. Uh, exactly. 
So yeah, anyway, she comes up with this crazy idea of we should just go to their Halloween party, go in, use that as an opportunity to plant a mirror, and then we can, you know, do our <laughs> thing with the laser pointer. You're, I know you're, for the sake of expediency, but I think you're giving the movie too much credit. She isn't like, oh, well, when Halloween rolls around, that'll give us the perfect opportunity. They're like, oh, I wish we could do this weird microphone thing you did in college. And then the next scene, it just happens to be Halloween and they've got the perfect reason to go, like, just get in disguise and go upstairs to this apartment. And their disguises are like, you asked me what they were going as. And I was like, either they're just generic robbers because they are both wearing like black and white striped shirts, like a Zorro cape, a Zorro mask. It's like they're trying to be the Hamburglar or they're just generic. I don't. Was there a lady Hamburglar? I know, but I mean, you can make anything like ungendered. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, ungender the ungender the McDonald's mascot. Sure, it's but about time. Grimace could be a lady. I don't know if it's a reference. I don't get, or maybe they just couldn't afford to copyright and like get a costume that. Well, wasn't no, they ha- they pass an Edward Scissorhands on the uh, oh, elevator. True. The wife, uh, whose whose name we find out is Julie. She's Julia. dressed as, Julia. She's dressed as Margot from Royal Tenenbaums. And they've been calling her Margot because they thought yeah. she looked like a Margot, so they think it's he, really funny. He seems to be dressed as some kind of Baphomet, which we learned a couple years ago. Uh, you actually can't do. There, Someone can sue you for that. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, they, that's how they notice that he's, it's Halloween is like, they're like, oh, there's a fertility god. Like, they knew the name, but I don't know. Yeah, a Roman fertility god. I forget what. Yeah, me too. Which I would not have recognized. So, it was a fucking goat man. He was wearing goat legs, goat hat. He was a goat man. He was a goat man. If I were doing this sneaky, sneaky plan, I, I guess I haven't really ever thought about doing this kind of thing in real life, but I feel like I would want to kind of jump in, jump out, not make a big spectacle of myself. They, they go in and they hang out. They stay at the party and like party at the party. They drink. Oh, I get that because it, the party was awesome. Yeah. It, like he's taking like free photos of them. There's like free drinks everywhere, free food everywhere. People are clearly fucking in the but bathroom. I would definitely not let my photo be taken. Like I would be so paranoid about getting my photo because like yeah. you're you're leaving evidence that you're the weirdo who was there. Yeah, I mean the movie wants you to acknowledge that, oh well, they're in disguise, they're in a costume. And then later on when they do meet these people in real life, every single one of them has a moment where they're like, Are you sure we haven't met? And that's like a cue to the audience that, oh yeah, the costumes worked. They were fully disguised. But I hear you. I was also like, the way she sticks a mirror on the back of this sculpture that's up against the window is with her chewing gum. And I am kind of like, DNA, like, just yeah. th- get, get a 3M hook or a 3M sticky also, or something. I mean, I guess gum is, I was wondering, because gum can be really, really sticky, but like, I was thinking like, is that the best method to stick something to like the back of a statue? It'll work. Is it going to just stay there permanently, though? Uh, if if the underside of every mil- middle school desk I've ever touched is any indication, then yeah. Well, the gum will stay itself, but will the gum hold something else? I don't think I've ever used gum to hold things. Well, we're going to conduct an experiment, uh, and we're going to get back to you, listeners, That's next true. week. We'll tell you how adhesive some chewing gum can be. Yeah. <laughs> so but you know yeah i felt i found that very strange also it's so weird to me i every time we've had a party my last party before covid for my birthday i know every single person that's coming into our apartment and that was like 40 people yeah. i still was aware of every single person that came in i don't think i'd ever throw a party where two people could come in and i wouldn't be like hey, hey who the fuck are you you know like <laughs> it did seem i it those kind of parties exist in movies and only in movies 
and this party existed in a movie. I think that's the most explanation we're going to get. But yeah, like out there, if you're listening and you live a lifestyle where you just have these big open house parties and anyone can drift in and drift out and you've got enough food and alcohol to go around, um, hit us up on Twitter because we'd definitely like to be your friend because this party looked awesome. Or not even be your friend. We're just going to come to your next party without you knowing. I mean... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I guess it does defeat the whole purpose if we befriend them and then. Yeah. Yeah. Then so. we're getting invitation. Yeah. I don't need the invitation. Yeah. According hit, to voyeurs. Hit us up. Don't give us a ton of information, but give us enough to crash your next party. Yeah. Uh, and we'll be there. This got weird. So moving <laughs> on. Here's the other thing that boggled my mind and another question I want to put to you, Allie. The, the first... So far in the movie, all they've done is look across the way and these two or this guy... There's fucking like people are having sex across the way. They finally get some audio. And what is the first thing they hear? Not some steamy sex, not some hot, dirty talk. They hear this couple fighting and they hear this guy completely gaslighting her. They hear this guy like choke her and kind of slam her to the ground. He like breaks her glasses. Yeah, he breaks her glasses. He gets mad at her. She's like, I saw you go in the bathroom with someone. And he's like... Basically tells her, like, I've got to divorce you. You're crazy. And she, like, begs for his forgiveness. And he chokes her and tells her to stop being crazy. And, like, you know, this was... They had a fun little night. It was, like, a fun little adventure between couples. They crashed a Halloween party. Now we're hearing, like, domestic abuse. And, like, I'm shutting off the equipment. This is no not fun anymore. We're buying curtains. We're buying a TV. This hobby is over. But for this couple, they are so into it. The boyfriend's kind of where you are, like where he starts mm. to be like, I don't want to be a part of this. It gets too real. I would not continue the way that Sydney Sweet or Pippa, I think is her name in the movie. I would not continue the way that she does where it's like this strange addiction thing. As a woman, I would not be able to disengage myself from it because now I've learned the husband across the way is willing to hit the woman. I've learned that there's a woman in danger. I've learned that there's a woman being manipulated and he's gas lighting her and she's in a really crappy situation I do think I would not be able to disengage myself I would not be able to forget what I'd watched and I would have to keep watching to make sure that she was safe and I do think I would have to I would want to take an active role in trying to figure out how to tell her like you gotta leave this guy A he's abusing you B he's definitely cheating on you yeah I get that too I guess I I would I would be considerate of her safety but like either way, it's not a fun thing anymore. No, it's now we've not. got this microphone and these binoculars, but now we're making sure that like we're not watching a beating take place or something like that. Yeah. And it's yeah, it's just no fun anymore. Um, but I, I would still be like, I feel like it would invest me even more in that situation. Like I would be like, I can never look away because I'm afraid I'm going to look away and she's going to get hurt. You know, like I would just be like, I have to know every detail. I guess. Well, she, Sydney Sweeney in the movie or Pippa. Uh, gets really invested. And the next thing is like, we we stumble into the next moral quandary. Right now, they're just looking at this couple. Yes, they fight. Yes, he's gaslighting her. Yes, he is abusing her uh, or got physical with her once. Like, we don't know if it's a serial pattern, but either way, unacceptable. Seems like it. It seems like a pattern. Either way, one could reasonably make the argument that this is none of their business and that they have no avenue to approach these people about their lives. That all changes when the wife, Julia. Julia. Julia 
she needs some new glasses. So of all the optometrists and all of Montreal, is that I think it was Montreal. Yeah. Of all of Montreal, she walks into Sydney Sweeney's and gets an eye exam, and they become friends. And they go to the sexy lady spa together on like a first friend date. Yeah. Where they go to like, they have these like really intimate conversations in two different saunas. Well, also they get nude in front of your new friend in the sexy swimming pool. Yeah. And there was, of course, because you cast Sydney Sweeney and this other actress whose name I'm blanking on. They're both, they're both very sexy. So there is a moment where they like get emotional and they get really like close with their faces. But no, they don't kiss. They don't hook up. Uh, It was, I guess, just a moment for people like me who live in the emotion, now kiss. Uh, That's my thing. That's your thing. It's it's everyone's thing. It's the entire, it's what White Lotus was entirely based on. Um, But, I mean, even, like, the eye exam has that level of, like, sexy of, like, you know, your your eye doctor's probably made you physically uncomfortable without necessarily even being a creep just at some point in your life because you end up really, really close to that person's face and then they move themselves closer and you are just, like, an inch away from kissing whether you want to kiss your optometrist or not. Like, if, like, if suddenly, like, Barry White started playing, it would suddenly be this, like, really charged thing. Yeah. Where you're, because your optometrist does. He gets, or she, they get right up in there, and yeah. And they really play that up when they're filming. Yeah. Uh, I mean, still, there's all that really unsexy equipment between them, (laughs) but, um, but anyway, that's all to say, she now has a personal interest. This person is her friend now. She has a relationship with him, or with her. She can't outright say i've been spying on you and i've bugged your apartment and your boyfriend is or husband is cheating on you but this humanizes the wife to pippa a lot and it it puts the viewer it puts her in this moral quandary of like because the wife also expresses how there there is unhappiness in her relationship and her life she's like she doesn't know who she is. She doesn't know what her identity is, her talent. She laments that she has no career. And then when she gets to talking about her husband, on the one hand, she says, he's my everything. Like, he's he is what I live for. He is what I do with my life. He got me work. And also hints that there's unhappiness. And Pippa happens to know that, yeah, he's cheating on her with every... He's like, his MO is like, he takes photos of nude models and then... He well, they don't always start out nude. Them. They don't always start out nude, yeah. but he he makes sure they he, wind up nude. He's, he does the whole like you know. Apparently, like I believe our last guest was mentioning with Euphoria, there's a bit of an issue with this of like they show up to set thinking one thing is going to happen, and it's like, well, have you considered doing this without your shirt on? Here, I'll take my shirt off and make it make it more well, comfortable. I, I don't think they do that on the set of Euphoria. Oh no, no, no! But that's he what does. this guy's mo yeah. is. He's like, oh, I'll make you more comfortable if if I take my shirt off, and then it, of course, leads and, to sexy. And because it's a movie and he has abs, it works on every single woman. Um, but he does kind of he he pushes the line of consent with like at least one of them. Yeah, uh, totally sleazy. And so, you know, she's in this moral conundrum. What would she do? And before we before we get into what she does, because it's kind of clever, but also poorly executed. I have to ask, like, realistically, if you were in if you were on this friend date, what would you do? Well, so it's so I would definitely go on the friend date just out of curiosity. But just to go to that spa. Yeah, the spa seemed interesting. But what I think is interesting is they do show like 
how they're mirror images of each other. Like the wife talks about how she's a former model. She didn't go to college. Now she doesn't have any skills that she's worked on. So she doesn't know what she's good at. She doesn't know what she should do. That's, you know, she doesn't have a career. She doesn't have this identity of her own. And Sydney Sweeney talks about how she only studied this one thing for years and put everything in her to achieve this career. Now suddenly she has this career, but she's invested so much that she could never do anything else because she's invested just everything like tunnel vision to getting this you know eye doctor position which also imagine you're watching this movie and you are a career optometrist like what a real shot across the bow of like (laughs) i'm only qualified for this one thing i hope i love it forever so they both have this weird envious thing of like the model has any career she'd ever want she could kind of think like let me try this she's not locked into any one thing and pippa sydney sweeney has this one thing that she knows that she's good at and she can do and it was her passion when she chose it it still is her passion she says she loves her job and the model would love that kind of clarity so i like that i mean there's that weird moment on the date their friend date where she calls julia Margot because she's so locked in on like her voyeurism but it kind of highlights the fact like you could never be that person's actual friend like you would have to just hang out with them a couple of times and then be like we can never have a real friendship because i can never be the kind of friend that's going to tell you everything because i've spied on your life there's never a good time to reveal to your friend like you can't reveal that like two friend dates in hey i gotta come clean about the fact that i'm spying on you and like definitely you couldn't do it two years in because then your friend's like what the fuck you this whole pretense of our friendship is like based on like you stalking me so i would just kind of maybe do one or two times and then be like okay gotta stop maybe i would leave her a note in her purse or something being like hey your husband tried to fuck me or something you know i don't know like my ultimate goal would probably be to let her know about the cheating yeah and that also was a was a thing i was curious about too before she goes on the kind of friend date she ha- that leads to a fight between Sydney Sweeney and her like live-in boyfriend because he sort of he asks her basically like am I not enough for you and what he means I think is she's really down the rabbit hole of this obsession now she's hanging out with this person she's getting involved in their like infidelity and things like that like she's not hooking up with the husband or anything but she's very much involved in this thing that just started out as them like casually peeping on their neighbors And I did want to ask of, like, I was curious, like, he seemed to get jealous from, like, a relationship standpoint. Now, they never outright mention that Sidney Sweeney's character is bisexual, but if she was, I could understand him being like, well, hang on, you're kind of going out on a date with someone, like that that's not okay to me like even though there's this added layer of like this is the hot gossip around our apartment and our friend group and everything like yeah this is a date you're basically being like can i go out on a date with this person but i'm not sure if i got that vibe because she mentioned she was married and everything like that so it really it it, i can't i couldn't tell if the movie was asking us to be believe that her boyfriend was this upset just over her obsession I didn't feel like it was because he felt like she was going to do something with the wife. I did feel like it was just that he was like, you know, because they do live in a studio apartment. There's like sort of a montage of like, you know, you see that different days have passed, but she's still sitting in the same spot with the binoculars watching. And he's like kind of walking by her like, what the fuck? And like, you can't do that in privacy in a studio. In a studio, there is no privacy. And so he's fully aware that she's spending so many hours. So then to start investing like your time outside of the house into it as well... 
and like you're leaving him in the house alone to go on this like weird friend date like you're now doing field trips for your obsession I feel like that's where I can kind of see like this is no longer like you're just at home weird thing that you're doing like you're actively spending money and like you're going to drinks and stuff like that's so much weirder you're getting another person emotionally invested in you like that kind of thing yeah and that leads us nicely into I, I mean, I, I hesitate to call it the first twist, but I, the, 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 a big inciting moment, which is, you know, we talked about what we would do if we were in her position. She does something kind of clever and a little tech savvy. She learns that Julia recently set up a new printer and that she struggled with it. So one night while she is spying on Julia, she notices her husband is asleep She's in the other room, and earlier that day, she had watched the husband, Sebastian is his name? Yeah. She had watched Sebastian uh, have a threesome and ditch the condom in the bathroom uh, little basket, waste and basket. And he, he incorporates, like, we see a quick snippet of him bringing his wife a birthday cake, like a red velvet birthday cake. He incorporates a piece of this wife's birthday cake into his three-way, which I found very rude. I agree. I, 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 egregious really cheat, cheat all you want that's her cake man yeah it doesn't uh, <laughs> bother you to be using your wife's birthday cake for your threesome it doesn't bother any of these other ladies i mean did the birthday was it like happy birthday honey or something on it i don't know i don't i don't necessarily know if they were involved in the cutting of the cake yeah he makes an interesting speech about why he cheats later but we'll get into that she anyway sydney sweeney notices they're separated she's in the living room she knows there's a condom in the waste paper basket so she Hooks her laptop the paper up basket. to the the wait bathroom waste basket <laughs> for waste paper. When you when you wipe and you don't want to flush, you kind of want to save it for a second. Oh, that's too far. <laughs> so, look, anyway, she hooks up to the printer and she prints a message to the to Julia saying, you know, ab- among other things, your husband's cheating on you. And there's a condom in the waste paper basket. First, she sends a thing that says test. Then she With sends a period at the end. Then yeah. she sends a message that says your husband is cheating on you, which like good way to drive a person insane. You got to do a full Ron and Sam from the Jersey Shore like no yeah, thing. There's no segue there. Explain it's, the whole thing. Test your husband is cheating on you. Like maybe yeah you need a little in between her <laughs> and so anyway long story short she goes and checks the uh bathroom garbage yes. finds the used condom and like finally all gaslighting aside has proof that her husband is cheating on her touches she, the condom too casually yeah don't touch liking. someone else's condom um don't touch any condom that casually without washing yeah. your hands it's, it's gross so she grabs a knife and she goes into the bedroom and you think she's going to stab her husband, but she d- doesn't end up doing it. Well, and at this point, Pippa's boyfriend has woken up and is like, what are you doing? Yeah, is real pissed but about it's, this. He wakes up at the worst moment for her because it's right when she's like, check the waste paper basket. And she, of course, needs to see how this culminates. And he's like trying to yell in her face, like, what are you doing? Stop doing this. And she's like, listen, it's like you came in at like the end of the movie. You need yeah. to like. Like, you shut the fuck up. This yeah. movie's, you can talk to me after. Um, and yeah, it gets super real and they get really worried. She like goes, so she raises the knife above her head to stab the sleeping husband. And they're both like, oh my God, what do we do? They're wondering if they should call the police, but they're also like, what are we supposed to tell the police if we call them? And then, you know, so the wife breaks down crying. She doesn't stab the guy. 
Pippa and her boyfriend, like, they they fight about this. And then the next morning, they, like, reconvene. And he's kind of like, look, you told me you were done with this. I need to be able to trust you. You broke my trust. They have that whole, you know, rigmarole. Um, and then, like, as they're hugging. Yeah, because she, she says she's, she's like, I'm done. I think because she feels like I've, I've done my due diligence. I've told the wife. Like, now it's in her hands. Also, too, it got really scary. Like, they thought they were going to be responsible for a murder, essentially. Now, we can argue how much they're responsible for just revealing his infidelity and these things that she knew would send her over the edge. Uh, and then they end up having to really confront that because they look across and rather than killing the husband, Julia has seemingly killed herself uh they see sebastian shaking her she's covered in blood she's unresponsive the knife is there and yeah and this they go from like pippa and her boyfriend go from we're gonna work this out don't worry to we're fucking done immediately he completely panics he feels like she ended this woman's life and he's not entirely wrong and he leaves her, like, leaves the apartment, packs a bag, leaves immediately. While she's screaming, like, I need you. Please don't do this to me. Don't do this right now. I can't believe you're doing this. And it was heartbreaking. And I got to ask, like, is was he wrong for leaving? Uh, you know, I was wondering that when watching. I don't know. I understand what he went through. Like, I, I don't understand from experience. But I think I would lose my mind a little bit, too. And if I were not the one instigating it, like, if I were not the one who had revealed the thing that led to the other person committing suicide, I do think I would be really angry. He'd been complicit for part of it, yes. So, like, he was not completely blameless for, like, this obsession happening and all of that kind of stuff. But he did have a line that was too far for him and getting involved in the other person's lives was like his line and so he was not responsible for Pippa getting that involved and he had told her to stop getting that involved so I do think he had like the right to leave but I did think it was kind of it was dicey whether it was okay for him to leave her I agree like I've waffled back and forth on this in the 24 hours since I've watched the movie and like I understand him being furious I understand him completely freaking out. Like, this could very well be a police matter. Her DNA is on the gum in the apartment. Like, there's a lot of layers to this now that he's now involved in. And he spent the past weeks, days, months, a long enough time being like, shut this down. And she didn't. Instead, she was sneaking off at night and, like, getting more involved, going out on friend dates. It's, you know, I get him being upset. Um, But I also get her feeling like she needs to let the woman know that her life is a lie. Yes, but we find out that maybe benevolence wasn't exactly her motivation. Julia is dead. Her uh, Pippa's boyfriend is seemingly out of the picture. He does scream, we're done. Like he breaks up with her. So what does she do? She watches him she continues to watch him and one night he goes to the bar downstairs she watches him leave her apartment and enter this bar and she goes after him and they have like a interesting conversation in the bar to be fair she doesn't initiate the conversation i think she's just like her voyeurism has taken over everything and Mm -hmm. she's lost everything and like she's lost a little bit of her mind her boyfriend's gone she sits far away like across the bar from him with her back turned not in like a cute cross the bar but like sits at a table facing away from him and he's like at the bar facing away from her and he just happens to catch her staring at him and makes his way over 
Yeah, I still think like she she went to that bar looking to take take this to the next level with him. I, I felt, don't think she just went there to look at him more. I felt like she, it was her voyeurism taking over. Like she was just still a voyeur. She wasn't at participant just yet. Well, he comes over and she is delighted. He's very depressed because his wife died. Uh, air quotes. We'll get to it. But they have this interesting conversation where he says, you know, like, what what is fidelity? Like, do you watch porn? Do you masturbate? What is the difference between using your hand or using just a person like it's equally meaningless to me what's now he's very obtuse like it's interesting in that it gives us his motivation for why he was such a scumbag and it reveals kind of that he very much was in love with this person even though he was cheating on her he was just had a very selfish warped sense of monogamy i feel like this is the just i don't even find it that interesting or like interesting really at all because i feel like this is the justification you get from every person that cheats on their significant other that they're in a committed relationship with like it's one thing to be in an open relationship they even state in this movie that 15 percent of people that are in marriages have an open relationship and i do think that that works for some people i do think some people to them it is just masturbating to them it can be meaningless they are only emotionally invested in this one person but when one person is not aware of the fact that their relationship's open. And you feel the need to gaslight them when they approach you about Exactly. This. You're messing with their psychology and their instincts yes. and things like that. So it's like, it always is like this justification, like in real life, people do this too, of like, oh, it was meaningless to me. The shoe meant nothing to me. It's okay. Like, it's not. I, I guess what was interesting about it to me was like, you didn't really get an indication that he had any affection for his wife. Because of how he treated her. And then to find out in that bar that, like, no, he does. He's just also really interested in his own penis. Yeah. Um, Speaking of being interested in his own penis, like, we don't have to get into it beat by beat. But essentially, like, this very kind of well done and, like, bar none, the sexiest moment of any of these movies we've done so far. Things escalate from we're having a conversation in a bar she goes back up to his apartment with him. He says he's going to take her photo. He does his whole thing to convince her to get naked and he gets naked too. Bob's your uncle. They have some pretty like raunchy and steamy sex. Yeah. And it's like, it's hot. It's wrong. Like she's obviously not supposed to be there. She knows he's a scumbag. She knows she is indirectly responsible for his wife's very recent death. It's a whole thing. They have sex. And of course, the worst happens. Who comes home across the street holding apology flowers? Sydney Sweeney's boyfriend. She, he comes home. He takes a sip of his awful, like, chloride, chloroform water. Not chlorophyll. Chlorophyll, chlorophyll. chlorophyll water. Chlor- Don't take chloroform water. Yeah, chlorophyll. Chlorophyll, chlorophyll water. Green juice. And sure enough, he spots her having... Like, full-on tits-out sex with this horrible person they've been watching for months. And, like, she's, like, loving it. That has to be, like, dirtier sex, more passionate sex than he's had with her probably since the beginning of the relationship. Um, She, you know, they have their sex. The next morning, she gets dressed. She goes home, and she finds that boyfriend has hung himself. Or has he? Now we're going to get into the big twist. And I'll uh, because, I, because I love you, I'm going to let you 
run through the twist for our, for our listeners. Well, I actually did want to like, just as a, a slight tangent, did you notice, and I thought this was interesting, there's a lot of times where we see her in silhouette, like when she's nude, or we see like sort of side boob, like when she's at the pool, the sexy like nude swimming pool, we never see her fully naked. There's all these situations where like she's having sex with her boyfriend, we don't see her fully naked. The first time we see her fully naked is when she has sex with the man across the street. Yeah. And I thought that that was an interesting choice. It's like, that's when she's fully exposed. I don't know if that was like sort of a choice by the filmmaker, but you don't get that voyeurism with her until she's actually the active participant with the guy she's been voyeuring. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, we, we, we don't get to see her fully nude until, yeah, this very passionate sex scene. But so r- run us through the big twist that happens after she deals with the grief of seeing her boyfriend has hung himself. So we see the funeral, we see her crying. So we do know that he is dead. She's talking to her friend and she tells her friend the whole story. Yeah, wait, I want to talk about this friend. We keep getting sidetracked on I revealing this, this big twist, but I want to talk about this friend. She is, I think, the worst person in the whole movie. She, Sydney Sweeney, like, who takes her friend to dinner. And imagine, we all have friends. We've all had one of our friends call us up and be like, I'm having a tough time. I just need to talk it out. Can we go to dinner? And at dinner, she reveals this whole voyeurism death plot, death affair, our our mutual friend. Yeah, I mean, story, whatever. Their mutual friend, her former boyfriend, is dead. A woman is dead. Like, all of this has happened. And the friend is just like, you're not a bad person, Pippa. Like, you're you're the greatest. Like, let's... Well, she tells Let's her- be over your boyfriend who hung himself very recently. Let's just, like, you know... And then she's like, what's going to help you get over this? And Pippa says, well, Sebastian's photography, like, gallery opening is tonight. Well, I, but and I, the friend is like, let's fucking go. Let's go together. That I, the friend is kind of a weirdly good friend. Like, your best friends will hold you accountable for like when you do bad things. But this person does say it was not your fault. Like you could not have known, like you ne- you didn't drive anybody like directly said like kill yourself or anything. Like she says, it's, it's very fucked up and you should be in therapy very soon, which is true. But she says- But tonight you, I'm enabling you. Well, she says you cannot hold yourself like as the guilty party in all of this. It all kind of just happened. So yeah, Sydney Sweeney says, if I could see him one more time, I think that would help. So, the friend's like, okay, well, how do we do that? She's like, he's at his gallery opening tonight. She's seen like ads around the city. So they go. She runs into him there and he's a little cold. He's a little strange. So they kind of have that interaction. And then he's like, oh, it's my cue. I need to get up on the stage. And so he starts talking. He says how his wife was his wonderful partner in crime. Everything was inspired by her. So that means that the best place for her is to be on that stage. And he calls up his very much alive wife. He brings her onto the stage. And one thing that I think is very funny is that this bitch is wearing glasses. She has on like a particular pair of glasses that she did not try on at the office with nope. Sydney Sweeney. So she already had glasses. Everything was a yeah. lie. Yeah. And they proceed to, rev- they for, I mean, they proceed to break a shitload of laws. He reveals that this was all, they that, that this was all a plot. They were tri- manipulating Pippa into watching them and they secretly owned the floor above their apartment that was dedicated 
to cameras capturing every minute of Pippa and her boyfriend. They also own Pippa's journey. apartment. They own Pippa and her boyfriend's apartment. Yes, I forgot. That's like an interesting, a subtle detail in a movie that from this point on is about as subtle as a train wreck was their realtor who they meet or who they're meeting with at the very beginning of the movie, the first scene. She's at the art gallery. So it's like she's helping them with this thing that was an elaborate art installation. And they go. Yeah, they they pull down picture by picture and they show like naked picture of Sydney Sweeney. Non-consensual naked picture of Sydney Sweeney. Well, I mean, she let it be taken, but. Yeah, but she didn't agree to it being on display in an art gallery. Well, she kind of did. So well, it, okay, yeah. they, it, as part of their lease, actually. They had signed, like, appearance releases, and there's that, like, point of, like, well, how many people read all the things they're signing kind of thing, which I always do. That's why I read every line of our lease when we sign. Anyway, they go through the whole story. They tell the whole story of, of this movie, basically, the her and her boyfriend watching them, then her getting it too invested. Her boyfriend ends up dying. People start leaving when the picture of the boyfriend's... Yeah, they feet. show a picture of the boyfriend's hanging dead body. And yeah, I appreciated that they showed like some people at the gallery just got up and left because as yeah, why you can't be showing a dead body clearly non-consensually. She finds out that this whole thing has been orchestrated, that her boyfriend has died for this situation and uh, it's ruined her entire life. She ends up going to their place and finds the secret room and destroys the shit out of it she's like very thousands angry. of dollars worth of equipment which yeah they deserved it oh yeah i'm not i'm just highlighting like how much they invested in this twisted fucking little game then she's you know moving out of her apartment which yes we all mm-hmm. would do that i would think that would be your next move she's kind of gone viral she sees the movers have like like she's like yes those are my boobs so clearly this is like completely ruined her life everyone's heard of the story they the couple the manipulative couple sebastian and julia do an interview where they're like yeah we debuted internationally we're the toast of the art community everyone loves the conversation this sparked and it's like you should be arrested but but they had all of this document- paperwork yeah. done, kind of. It's a whole thing. But. Yeah. While she is, you know, packing up, she has this bird feeder that she was gifted. She notices the boyfriend had poured, like, before he notices the fucking across the way, he had poured his green juice into the bird feeder before he's found dead. So she notices all of the, there's green juice in the bird feeder, and she notices there's a whole bunch of dead birds underneath. And then she makes eye contact with the people across the way, with, you know, the husband and wife, and she sort of starts to put something together then we see the couples at home the husband seems to be feeling kind of guilty about everything he's like really angry at the wife he's like don't you ever feel guilty and she's like no which i kind of appreciated yeah i didn't get that either though because ultimately it doesn't mean like his guilt I mean, who cares if you're guilty at this point, guy? So I don't think he was involved in the thing that we're going to reveal. Oh, right. So she starts doing the same thing she did before where they start to hear their printer going and they get papers from her that say like- From Pippa. From Pippa saying like, I know what you did. I don't remember her boyfriend's name. Didn't kill- Thomas, I think. Maybe. Didn't kill himself. And then you killed him, you killed him, you killed him, you killed him. Which I I like to think of the fact that she had to be like, control C, control V, control V. (laughs) (laughs) to like really make that one but yeah she fills 
the whole page with you killed him. They you know, look and they find her. She's across the way on the roof of the building she used to live in watching them. She had to give up them keys. Yeah. And they chase her down to the street because they realize she seems like she's got a murder case against us. They chase after her. They're like, we just want to talk to you. They end up running to the optometrist office where she works. Because there are like... Three sets total in this movie. Yeah. They end up cornering her in the optometrist's office. I forgot to mention, when the husband and wife came home that night, they had found a bottle of wine that was a gift for them. They both had a glass. It was his favorite kind of wine. So anyway, they chase her. They corner her into this office. She says, I just want to know why you were doing this. You know, how could you do this? And I feel like the husband kind of indicated that he was not involved in Thomas's death. Like that wasn't his fault. Whereas the wife kind of just starts being like, listen, it's like you said earlier, you get really tunnel visioned. You can't think of anything else. You focus on your one goal. And she sort of uses that as the justification for what we see in a flashback is that she had put poison in the green juice and then dragged the boyfriend and arranged it to make it look like he had committed suicide. Hoisted him up with what looked like an extension cord to make it look like a suicide to sort of sell this narrative that they're now raking in a ton of money for. Well, meanwhile, her husband was having sex with Sydney Sweeney across the way. Yes. And it turns out they are in an open relationship. They're they're in the 15%. Good for them. Well, yeah. I mean, at the very least, they're okay with him boning for their art. Yeah. It's very weird. I, there are worse reasons than art, I guess. I guess. But yeah, they let, so, they let him have like 18 affairs just for this narrative. I mean, maybe while he was doing that, like in the apartment, she was off having affairs of her own in a not bug department. Who knows? Yeah. But anyway, Sydney. So, you know, naturally, as we've sort of indicated... Poison's in play, so sure enough, that wine that was gifted to them was actually poisoned by Sydney Sweeney. And you think that's kind of going to be the end of it. She poisons them, they die, end of story. Yeah, the wife starts no. slurring her words and then, like, collapses. Yeah, they both, get, they both get knocked out. They're not dead. But the reason she lured them to the optometrist's office is because she wants to pick them both up, put them in her little, like, optometry LASIK chair... And she fries both of their eyes so that they can't voyeur anyone ever again. The movie ends Like with, she, she says to the husband while he's passing out, like, look at me. I want to be the last thing you see. I'm going to be the last thing you see. Yeah, and you think she's killing them. But the movie ends with a new couple moving into the studio apartment. And they notice their neighbors across the way. And they notice that they're kind of helping each other. Because they're both permanently blind. Yeah, they both have like walking sticks. Like, yeah. The, the blind sticks. And they, you know, the like it goes from a shot of them sort of holding each other with like white, fully white eyes, clearly damaged to credits. And that's voyeurs. It's oh no! It shows Sydney Sweeney watching them with binoculars from the roof again. Then she puts the binoculars oh, right. on the side of the roof, walks away, and then turns to camera, like so. You see her in through in, the binoculars, through the broken. I actually wrote this down. You the last shot. I'm sorry. Is Sydney Sweeney turning back to camera, and you see her turning back to camera through the broken lens of the binoculars. And I wasn't sure if this was a metaphor or if I was just like inferring this or whatever but that's kind of indicative of the movie like she's now just broken her boyfriend's dead she's this negatively viral sensation she's like blinded people her obsession took everything from her and it's like that's just the whole movie it's not if i have one gripe with voyeurs it was a wild ride but it is just a movie about people 
breaking one another. No one is better off for the experience of this movie, including the viewer. Like, no, like, I didn't learn a lesson about voyeurism. This was wrong from the moment they bought their binoculars. So, like, it's a it's a really wild ride. It's fun. I fully understand why Jen wanted to talk about this movie after. But when you do take a step back and you're like, what was Voyeurs about? What was Voyeurs trying to say? The answer is just depressing and and breaking people. Well, actually, the last scene, the last shot is a mirror of the first shot where the first shot of the movie is we see her in a lingerie store and she's trying on lingerie and then she turns like kind of abruptly to camera and notices that she's being watched while trying on this lingerie and like shuts the screen and she does the same sort of turn at the end. So it is like both of them are like, oh, you're watching me sort of voyeurism, like ending Mm. on this sort of voyeurism. So I think that's part of why we get that sort of like, oh, goodness, your weird sort of dramatic turn. I thought it was interesting that, like, before they realized they're poisoned, they ask her if she could prove any of this, if she has any evidence, like, if, if she wanted to go to the police, and she says no. So I do think she blinds them because she really, A, it's obviously, like, very, like, it's a, you know, just desserts sort of revenge, but B, she cannot go to the police, justice will not be served. So she had to take it into her own hands. Um. Well, so now that we're at the end of the movie... Let's get into our, um, you know, our next segment, which is our personal favorite, best, sexiest, you know, favorite moment from this movie. I liked when they were sort of watching the sex scenes at first. I thought it was fun when she and her boyfriend were kind of seeing it and, and like having this like cute couple moment. They had just moved in together. This is their first apartment together. This is their first night together in the apartment. And they noticed the people across the way. And her boyfriend was like fun all the way through up until things go shitty. So I yeah. liked the way that he was like, oh, oh, they're fucking. Like it was <laughs> like, I enjoyed that relationship and that sort of banter. And when they started creating the story for the people across the way and he was like, oh, you know, I'll learn how to work out from him and you'll, you know go and learn about the boutiques and shopping from her and she's like hey what do you think of girls just like shopping and he's like shit i'll learn about the boutiques then (laughs) yeah it was funny it was cute uh they had a good banter that then got like deadly serious uh for me i think i would be remiss if just like the segment is best sexiest moments if no one mentioned the entire run of like when she goes to that bar And, like, slowly it leads to just this really hot sex scene where, you know, she ends up on top of him and it's just, it's nasty, it's wrong. But also it's, like, really well done. The escalation is well written, well shot, and, like, you fully buy that, like, this night is just getting away from her slash going exactly where she wanted. It's a fantasy come true. Like, she's been, like, we would see her, like put herself in she would think of herself being across the way sometimes and like touching him comforting her doing all these kinds of strange things like putting herself in the story and now she's actually like real life in the story yeah it was very sensual like i always like a sex scene where you can tell that the people are enjoying themselves because like a lot of time like the women don't always seem like they're enjoying themselves that much because they're kind of being like an actress being filmed nude so it felt like it was like this very sexual like enjoyable moment we talked about afterwards how the sex scenes in this movie were some of the sexiest we've seen yeah. in the movies that I we've mean, done. I mean, low bar, the movies we've done so far are like Deep Water, A Perfect Murder, and Well, Wild Things. Wild Things had some very sexy scenes. And if you listen to our last episode, if you want to hear all about that. But right now, I'm actually really excited for our next segment, which is Allie is going to read me some trivia about this movie. Again, all I've done is see it. Normally, I'll do a little bit of like 
looking into the movies I watch. But I'm ready to just hit me with hit me with what you got. So there's not a lot of trivia for this movie. It's a sort of a newer movie. 2021. Yeah, and also not like a high budget movie or anything like that. So. Three sets. Yeah. So there's only a couple. The idea for this film came to Michael Mohan after visiting a friend's new place in Los Angeles, looking out the window and spotting a couple in their apartment across the street walking around naked. Okay. I mean, yeah. Yeah. We've all been there. That's true. Yep. Sydney Sweeney told Elle magazine when she saw this for the first time, she wondered if she'd done too much nudity. So she researched celebrities who have done nude scenes trying to make herself feel better. She said there are hour-long compilations of world-famous male actors with nude scenes who win Oscars and get praise for that work. But according to her, the moment a woman does it, it degrades them. They're not actresses. They just take off their tops so they can get a role. Several people posted on social media after her interview that a vast majority of actresses who have won Oscars for Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress since 1970 have appeared nude on screen. Which I would agree. Interesting. You look at someone like Kate Winslet does nude scenes all the time, but she does it because she feels like it adds realism because her person shouldn't be wearing their bra during a sex scene or like a bra when they're in the bathtub. Yeah. Yeah, and I do think there is something to what you mentioned earlier in that she is naked only in that final sex scene because, yeah, that is fi- that, that is the culmination of her finally living out her wild 20s. You know what I mean? The, the movie didn't do a good enough job to... I shouldn't say it didn't do a good enough job. It could have done a better job escalating to that point because you cast someone like Sydney Sweeney and she's just kind of sexy throughout. I don't think her mouth is ever closed. But, like, this, from the character standpoint, she was supposed to be very buttoned up, and this is her, like, freeing moment doing this really nasty thing with this guy that she's not supposed to be doing. Well, now she's exposed when, like, before she was the one watching, you know? Yeah, I was gonna say that, too, is, you know, he, it's also in the end, like, yeah, it completely exposes her. So it it made sense. It was good for the role. What's, yeah. what, what's the next bit of trivia we got here? The view from Pippa's La Optique office would indicate that it was filmed high up within 1250 Boulevard in Montreal, Quebec. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So I think you were right, obviously, like when you said Quebec, uh, yeah. Montreal, you said. They make it obvious. There's some French spoken throughout. Yeah, they mention at one point, yeah, and all, all, the, all the optometrists and all of Montreal. But I do think it's important to know it takes place in a big city because there is a difference between looking at an apartment across the way in a big city like New York or Montreal than there is like maybe if you live in a suburb or something. This movie doesn't happen in the suburbs. The Voyeurs 2 does not take place in the suburbs. In The Voyeurs, Pippa mentions author Emma Straub when, I think it's Straub, when describing one of Julia's options for new glasses. Julia was later seen reading an Emma Straub novel. Oh, that's that's interesting. It's a foreshadowing detail. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was kind of the end of the trivia. But I wanted to mention, you know, we ended up watching the movie Watcher, which came out this year. It's a horror movie starring Micah Monroe. And it also deals with this like voyeurism. You're looking in the apartment building across from yours sort of situation. And it does it in a like the, it is not a an erotic thriller, so we, I don't think we'll be doing it on the podcast. But I wanted to watch it before we did this movie because it plays with the same themes and it came out during the same sort of time. And I think that it's interesting to see the way that you can use this voyeurism, the, this peeking into someone else's apartment, and use them completely differently. Watcher was a much better reviewed movie, and I actually would say a significantly better movie. It's it's more like a stripped down version of this movie. It's toned down. It's a lot more subtle. 
Um, it's not as sexy because the ultimate motivator isn't sex. Yeah, it's not a sexy movie. Yeah, but it is. It was incredibly well done. So if you're if you watch the voyeurs and you want a little bit more of this rear window esque plot, it's very good. Highly recommend it. It also stars, and I'm actually just learning his name is Burn Gorman. Uh, I knew him from the Doctor Who spinoff Torchwood where he played Owen Harper, but he was also on Game of Thrones and he's just a very good actor and a like creepy sort of malevolent presence. He's got like a villainous face. Yes. Um, They play with the tension of like Rear Window. Like they build a very ambiguous story where you don't quite know if your main character is, is she right in her suspicions of what she thinks is happening? Is she just, you know, letting herself get away with her? I'm not going to give up too much about the movie but i would say like that movie does very artfully what i think this movie wished it was doing i think it's always important to acknowledge movies that are coming from the same sort of motivation have the same sort of inspiration which obviously rear window is a big one for both of these but i do think watcher does it a lot more artfully and in a more interesting take uh well so to circle back to the voyeurs obviously we recommend watcher But let's circle back to the voyeurs for our final segment. Would you recommend this uh, movie to our listeners and friends? I kind of go back and forth on it. I wanted you, I was excited when we decided to do this podcast, partially because I was like, oh, that means I can make you watch the voyeurs. (laughs) Because I don't think you would have watched it otherwise. Uh, You can correct me during your turn. No, I wouldn't have. Yeah, but it's, I think the sex scenes are some of the sexiest ones that we've seen in erotic thrillers that we've done. However, I think the movie, I love a twist in a movie. I love when I don't know the the movie that I'm watching. This one, it comes so late in the movie and it's so like, so many moving pieces have to fall into place in order for that twist to work. Like she has to come to his art show that he doesn't invite her to. So he has to be like, she's that obsessed with me where she's going to come because she's going to see the ads. I don't love that. And then for it to take this like meta thing where then it involves, then the boyfriend was murdered by them. Like not only were like they forced into this voyeuristic thing because the people purposely wanted them to be watching, then the boyfriend got murdered. And that was sort of a step too far where I was like, okay, then you guys are just okay with murdering people. And like, if you're going to do that for your art, you can just start murdering people on the, you know, like you don't have to be doing this. it down you know we can't we've kept talking about this movie being a bunch of um i'm just gonna jump in i too struggle to recommend this movie uh i think if you're looking for a sexy movie yeah throw on the voyeurs 100 but in terms of sex scenes in terms of the like it asked a lot of moral questions and then the twist that like the boyfriend was murdered it's just like okay instead of a bunch of moral gray areas now we have a clear hero now we have clear villains And that made a movie that existed in a gray area suddenly very black and white, uh, which was a bummer. I think it should have stuck to its guns. Yeah, because they're just bad guys. Yeah, exactly. And so when they get blinded in the end, it's like, all right, the the good guy won, the bad guy's lost. The end. I like I like a good just dessert. So I liked that it ended with them being blinded and it is this whole thing on like, oh, they were voyeurs and they were watching her watching mm-hmm. them and now they can never see anything again. They're artists, blah. But I think the movie thought it was a better movie than it was and it thought it was like this big artistic triumph. And I would just say like watch Watcher instead if you're looking for a good version of this movie without the sex. But I think you could just kind of watch the sex scenes. Maybe watch it if you are looking for a movie that's not great, but not horrible and is sexy. Like you could do worse than Voyeurs. 
Uh, all right. Well, guys, that is The Voyeurs. Uh, we had fun talking about it. Not as much fun watching it, but decide for yourself. Um, I have been your co-host, Tyler. You can find uh, a lot of my work uh, I'm working on right now at USA Insider, where I'm writing about all things USA Network. And Allie, where can the people find more of you? You can find me at Anal Retentive, and that's on Instagram and Twitter. Please follow me, and I think that I'm funny. And uh, you can also find me on Parade.com, where I cover entertainment. And Chef Bootcamp, a show that I cast, has premiered already and been airing on Food Network. So I cast the people in that, so, you know, give them a little bit of shout out. It's a great show. Uh, I, too, am on Twitter. Thank you for listening. We will be back in two weeks, and we're excited to putting out another episode for you special thank you to mallory johns for our intro and outro music and special thank you to our producer alex marcus 